Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 2nd, 2018. On today's show, we're going to stop by the water cooler to talk about what we've been up to. And in our feature presentation, we're going to discuss if Ready Player One is Steven Spielberg's worst movie. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me for today's podcast is Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Guys, I am back from New York. Um, I want to thank you both, and especially uh, Ben and everybody on the site, actually, uh, for keeping this podcast afloat and keeping the site afloat while I was uh, gone on a uh, a uh, trip to New York City, uh, which I'll talk about in the water cooler. But uh, I was listening to this podcast every every day uh, as I went to sleep uh, in, in New York City, and... Um, and boy, th- this podcast is better without me. <laughs> like I, it, it is uh, not not to pat myself on the back because I had nothing to do with the last week. It, it's a, it's a good podcast. Uh, I have been enjoying it as a a fan and not a creator. But I am back uh, for this week, anyways. Uh, and let's uh, let's all go to the water cooler to the, discuss what we've been up to. And I want to apologize in advance. Um, I have a long list of things to talk about, guys, because. As I mentioned, I did go on this uh, trip across 
the country to uh, New York City, to Manhattan, and I did experience a lot of things. I'm only going to talk about a few of them here because many of them were like touristy things like, you know, eating pizza at the best pizza places in Brooklyn and Manhattan and, uh, you know, stuff like that, uh, seeing, you know, the 9-11 memorial. Uh, not stuff that I think uh, Slash Film daily listeners want to hear about, but I will talk about a couple of the things that I think you'll want to hear about. I got to experience uh, one of the first performances of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child in on Broadway. Uh, as you know, this is uh, premiered in London uh, a number of years ago. It's now on Broadway with the original cast from London. Um, have either of you read the 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 play that was released? I have not. No, I haven't either. No, um, I, I had not either. Um, I had avoided it just because I heard uh, you know it wasn't the the right format. To you know, it, it just was didn't read like the novels did and as it should shouldn't because it's a play but um it, it's better to experience uh you know on a stage uh so i did go uh to new york city i was able to we were luckily able to get tickets which were really hard to get at uh and we got uh, the tickets where there's two parts of this play uh some days like you see one part one night and the second part another night i was lucky enough to see both parts in one day uh each part has an intermission, and in between the two parts, there's, you know, a long break, so you can go grab uh, lunch or dinner. Um, but, uh, okay, so I'll give you the uh, the, the spoiler-free version of my reaction for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and that is that it is an amazing production. Uh, like, this is probably the best-produced uh, play I've ever seen. Um, and, uh, surprisingly has some, like some cool magic, like, uh, you know, stage magic, uh, in it that I wasn't actually expecting. I, sh- I should have put two and two together, but, uh, th- you know, they're doing cool wizarding world things on stage, uh, practically. And it- it's really cool. E- e- even to the point of some stuff that like, you know, I turned to, uh, my girlfriend and friends and be like, how are they doing that? Like just some really cool effects. Um, but as a story, uh, and I'm not a Harry Potter diehard fan. I, I am a fan of the the, the movies. Uh, as a story, I feel like I do get the criticism that you probably heard that this does feel like fan fiction a little bit. It feels kind of like a fan service at times. It doesn't feel as elevated as J.K. Rowling's work usually is. And um, I tweeted when I got out of the the the, the, uh, the production that it, it's kind of like back to the future two in every possible way if that makes sense um and i don't want to delve into that statement because that could get into kind of spoiler territory but uh it is kind of like you know what did everybody love about the harry potter series let's try to recreate that in this play um and uh to the point of some things i'm not sure make logistical sense but are fun for fans um but anyways, I you know I would recommend it if you have the chance to see it. It is very expensive. I don't remember how much I paid for this because I paid for it like many months ago. But I I think it was the most money I've ever spent in one day of entertainment, uh, which is saying a lot because I I go to see a lot of uh, entertainment out. Um, okay, so let, let me talk about some of the other things I did in New York City. Uh, by the way, it's cold New York, guys. <laughs> Chris, I'm I'm sure you're used to this because you you live. Uh, not that far outside of New York City, but I, I am not used to this. 
uh, being from L.A., and I narrowly avoided the snow coming back. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is cold out there. Um, I, I went to uh, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, which I wouldn't recommend going to. It's, it's kind of like this bad tourist uh, trap in, in on Broadway. Or not on Broadway, in, uh, in Times Square. Um, but I went there because I wanted to see the Ghostbusters Dimension Void VR experience. Brad, have you heard about this? I have, and I would like to try it out sometime. But unfortunately, it's nowhere near here. Yeah, unfortunately, to experience this Void VR experience, at least in New York City, you have to buy a ticket to this Madame Tussauds, uh, you know, wax museum and this like horribly produced marvel experience so you end up paying like 50 bucks just so you can go experience this uh ghostbusters experience which um is kind of, it's made by the same people that did the star wars uh shadows of the empire experience that's in disneyland and a bunch of other locations uh this is their earlier version of that um it doesn't have the the hand tracking and it does feel kind of um uh, very uh fidgety but it's it, it's very cool Brad, I think you would uh, freak out as you look, you know, through a giant hole in the skyscraper that you are in as the Stay Pup Marshmallow Man is, you know, walking by and you're trying to uh, destroy it with your uh, with your 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 guns. Um, But it it, it is cool, but I don't think it's guns. Guns. (sighs) Your proton pack. Yeah, proton pack and the neutrino wand. Neutrino wand. Yeah. Come on, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> the, the experience is probably like ten minutes long. It's a, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to spend fifty bucks if you're just in it for that experience. Um, I did get a good photo with a wax uh, sculpture of of Steven Spielberg though, so maybe it's all worth it. I don't know. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk about two other things. I know that I'm going super long on this water cooler segment, but um, uh, I saw a couple of magic shows while I was in New York City because. Obviously, I love magic. The first of which is The Magician at the Nomad Hotel uh, with Dan White. Um, This is a magic show produced by Theory 11, my favorite uh, magic company. They they teamed with the Nomad Hotel, which is this really cool hotel. If you're ever in New York City, you should go there. They have this uh, bar called the Library, which is, you know, it looks like a library. It's really cool. Um, When I – I'm wondering how much I should say about this – Okay, let me start at the beginning. Uh, to get tickets to this, they release tickets, I think, every week. And when they release tickets, I forget what time it is, but they sell it in, like, a second. So it's one of those things that, you know, a ticket to this to this show is, like, $100 a ticket or so. And uh, it's very hard to come by. There are... Uh, so, you know, this is the type of event that, you know, celebrities in New York City are at every single show. Uh, not that there were any. Oh, well, Max, uh, Max, uh, what should I call it? Um, Chronicle screenwriter Max Landis is the word I'm looking for, was at my uh, my, my show and uh, he spotted me during the during the show and crumpled up his napkin and threw it from across the room to get my attention. Anyways, uh I want to tell you, when you buy the ticket to this show, I'm trying to not ruin anything, but uh, you're you were advised to go meet this lady in white in the, in the lobby of the hotel. And you go meet this lady in white, and she gives you some objects to help you try to find 
the the room where the performance is, and it's kind of like this almost it's 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 not just a magic performance. It's almost almost like a a puzzle room or escape room where you're like trying to solve things, and a couple people each performance get to experience an extra something which my group was allowed to uh we we were kind of given this like piece of paper to solve a puzzle to call a number to do something and then during intermission we got led to a secret room in the hotel you know I'm, i'm probably saying way too much but it was one of the coolest experiences i've ever had uh in a show and it's kind of a traditional magic show for the most part but it's very cool uh dan white is a master if you were in new york city you know every week i would try to try to buy tickets to the show because um it is it is an experience that everybody should should experience if you're in new york city it's 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 uh so good uh i you know i didn't see anybody in 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 the show that didn't enjoy it it's 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 one of the i think i said on twitter it's um not just one of the best magic shows i've ever seen but it's one of the best uh uh nights i've ever had so um i would highly recommend it uh the the last and final thing i would like to tell you about is um another uh show on uh called in and of itself uh, starring Derek Delgadio. Uh, he's a magician. I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a magic show. It's more of a performance. It's uh, directed by Frank Oz, a.k.a. Yoda. It features uh, music by Mark uh, Mother's Mouth uh, from Devo and Wes Anderson Films. And uh, and um, is produced by Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, this is the closest I've ever seen to magic being elevated to I don't want to say an art but like this is a uh, this is way more than just a traditional magic show it makes you think about life uh, people I, I've I've only been to two magic shows where I've seen people in the audience cry at an effect and this is one of the two um, it, it it is so amazing Um you know, I, I've written about this on the site, but I wrote about it when I saw it in previews when it was in L.A. This show is going till the end of the summer in New York City. It, it's been extended a few different times. Um, they've they've done the show for for a long time now. Uh, if you have the chance to be in New York City and see the show by the end of you know the summer, uh, go do it. You will not regret it. And uh, and I would say, you know, after you see the show, if uh. The, the the experience can continue afterwards if 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 uh if there is a street address that's mentioned during the show maybe maybe go to that street address after the show and and experience something even more magical uh but that's what i've been up to i know i've 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 talked for over 10 minutes now i, I apologize to all of you out there brad what have you been up to um not too much but i did have the distinct honor of watching a fantastic movie from 1986 called Rad. It is about BMX racing. It is exactly the kind of 80s movie you would expect to be about BMX racing with all of the cheesy, inspirational, you're the best around style-like songs all throughout and plenty of bike racing and tricks and cheesy acting and corrupt city officials and rebellious teens 
And again, cool bike tricks. It's also directed by Hal Needham, the famous uh, stuntman who di- um, has done stuff with like Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball Run. And it is just an, a 1980s delight. It is so cheesy. Uh, a bunch of friends and I had so much fun watching it and just laughing at it. Um, it's something that some of our friends had watched like growing up and loving. And uh, it was still just such a good time just to watch it. How, how does this movie compare to the other kind of um, skater movies of, of that era? You know, I haven't seen a ton of the skater movies from that era. Like, um, I haven't seen things like Skater Die or Gleaming the Cube, what have you. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot have, of those Have movies. you seen Prayer of the Roller Boys? I have not. I've, I've never even oh heard of that. Oh, my God. So, no. <laughs> with Corey Haim, like, you got you got to check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like, um, but like, but I know like what, what a lot of these movies are like, and I, I've seen like a couple of them. I, I I'd have to be reminded of them though, because they're not movies that I loved or anything. But they do, it just has a very distinct style. Uh, it, a, a lot of '80s sports movies kind of had had this style, um, and so it's just <laughs> it's quintessential '80s, and it was it was just a blast to watch. Well, very cool. Um, I know this is uh, Jermaine Lussier, a former writer for SlashFilm.com. It was one of his favorite movies. Um, Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, Not a whole lot. I I finished up the new Netflix take on Lost in Space, and there's a full spoiler-free review up on SlashFilm.com right now. Uh, it's good. It's, it's a little derivative. Like there's nothing in it you haven't seen before, but it's, it's well-made. It's got a great production value and it's also surprisingly a lot like lost. It's almost like, uh, the makers of the show took the, the lost part of the title very seriously. And it has that same framing device where, uh, anytime you want to learn more about a character, there's like a flashback in the middle of the episode that takes you back to the character before they got lost in space. And it has the same setup basically where it opens with them, you know, it opens with them literally just crashing somewhere, uh, you know, instead of an Island, it's a planet, but like the Island on lost, you know, they keep discovering new strange stuff about, uh, the planet, but you know, it's good. It's, it's entertaining. Um, it's not like binge worthy. It's not like other Netflix shows where you're going to want to blow through it in a weekend. I I'd actually recommend taking your time with this and watching it, over a period of a few weeks, I think it plays better that way. Hmm. I mean, see, your Lost pitch had me interested, but now that you're saying it's not binge-worthy, because I feel like one of the great things about Lost is it always ended on, like, this moment that you kind of wanted to see the next, you know, show. It was kind of like 24 in that way. And you're saying this is not that? It's not, but also you should remember that even though Lost, those episodes did end like that, you really couldn't binge them at the time because it was a weekly show. So you had to wait, you had to wait regardless. So, uh, you know, this show, it doesn't end with cliffhangers all the time, but it does have that same sort of, you know, Oh, I wonder what's going to happen next, but it's not like as urgent, I guess you could say. Hmm. Okay. Well guys, let's move into our feature presentation. And that is a discussion. Uh, we're wondering is ready player one really Steven Spielberg's worst movie. Uh, I saw this film when I was in New York City, um, and I I liked it. I feel like this is a film that if I was 15 and I saw, uh, you know, I would have loved it. Uh, but Chris, you wrote this review on the site, uh, which we will link in the show notes, calling it Steven Spielberg's worst movie. Uh, why did you hate Ready Player One, Chris? 
at this point, I'm ready to just say Ready Player One is great, and I never want to talk about it again because I'm getting all this uh, angry. Uh, <laughs> people on Twitter are not happy with me, and it's it's uh, it's catching me a little off guard because. Uh, you know, last week I wrote a 6,000 word piece where I'm literally just talking endlessly about how much I love Steven Spielberg and I love his films, but apparently that's not enough. And people are very upset with me for saying this, but here, here's how I, I, I rationalize this take. So I've seen every Steven Spielberg movie and some of his films, fantastic. Wait, some wait, of them wait. not. Have you seen 1941? Yes. Always? <laughs> yes. Color Purple? Yes. Okay. You've seen them. Okay, so, uh, you know, some of Steven Spielberg's movies, fantastic masterpieces. No one can top them. Some of them, not that good. But even the films he's made before this that haven't been that great, like, say, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, for instance, there's always been something in the film that I can latch onto and I can enjoy. Like, Crystal Skull, not a good movie, but there's stuff in that movie I really like like there's uh, one shot in that movie where uh, a nuclear bomb goes off and it's after, of course, the famous fridge scene. But, you know, there's a shot of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones standing looking at the mushroom cloud. That shot is is breathtaking to me. That's like an iconic shot. You know, that alone makes that film sort of worth watching to me. I didn't get any of that watching Ready Player One. Um, So so you're saying one perfect shot will not have a shot of Ready Player One. (laughs) <laughs> not not in my mind um it's this didn't even feel like a spielberg movie to me spielberg is a master of cinematic language i think he's pretty much the best working director right now who can tell a story just with images he doesn't even need dialogue he he gets it he gets he has such a firm grasp on that but this film didn't feel like that to me it just felt really flat i didn't care about a single character in this film um you know uh, i don't i'm not going to run down a huge list of things because i I, you know like i said there's a there's a review on slashfilm.com where i go into this in greater detail but it just it really it made me depressed honestly because i you know i even though i didn't go into this with great expectations because i thought the trailers looked kind of bad I wanted it to be good. I wanted to walk out and be like, you know what? That was a really good movie. Steven Spielberg pulled it off. But I just sat there in the theater just wishing it it would end. And when it was over, I just left the theater really in like a funk. Just like, uh, I can't believe, you know, this is, you know, this is a Spielberg movie. Okay, let's get the other side of the coin here. Brad, you enjoyed this movie. Why? What did you love about Ready Player One? I mean, the biggest thing for me is that I really like the big concept of what the Oasis is and the world that it kind of allows people to escape into. It's it's basically the whole the idea of you being able to escape into your like the worlds of the things that you love, whether it's movies, comic books, TV shows, video games, all that kind of thing. This is the first time in a long time that I've watched a movie on the big screen and I've been so immersed. Uh, and excited and energized by a world that I immediately wished it was real upon walking out, out of the movie theater. I would love to play in a world like the Oasis where, like the trailers keep saying, anything is possible. You can be anyone. You can do anything. You know, you can use all these cool things that from movies and all the stuff that you love from pop culture. It's just, it's just a cool, cool concept. And I, I like the way that Spielberg used it 
more as the the background for this ad- adventure that is it's almost like uh it, it has amblin-esque features to it it's not necessarily an amblin movie but it does have i mean this... it, it, it is technically technically an amblin movie. Well, yeah, i mean it, it is literally <laughs> an amblin movie yes but you but you know what i mean yeah um it's 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 a much more technologically advanced uh amblin adventure and uh i don't necessarily want to compare it to the high quality amblin movies that we all love because i don't think this movie is anywhere near spielberg's best but i just don't think that it's anywhere near being his worst movie he he does so many cool things with what he's given and he elevates the material so that it's not just something that is this trip down memory lane and this whole thing of where all you're you're doing is just listing off pop culture references in the, in the way that a lot of people have criticized Ernest Klein's novel for doing, which I I have not read personally, so I don't I don't know the details of that, but I, I just know the complaints that I've heard from the very vocal people who have expressed their distaste for the book on Twitter and various other parts of the internet. Okay, so uh, I I guess the question is, um, I mean, Chris is claiming that this is Spielberg's worst movie. Uh, why is this worse than The Lost World, Chris? Uh, I mean, Lost World isn't that. I mean, do you think The Lost World is Spielberg's worst movie? Is that why you're asking that? Well, I think it has more cringeworthy moments like, you know, uh, Jeff Goldblum's daughter doing gymnastics to to fight the raptors. Absolutely. But... That, that is a terrible scene. <laughs> but it also has a very stunning sequence where those trailers are hanging over the cliff and Julianne Moore falls onto the grass and there's glass and there's this shot of her leaning on the glass and a, the glass starts to crack like stuff like that that's phenomenal to me i mean the the movie isn't great but it has moments like that which save it for me whereas again i didn't get any of that in Ready Player One. The closest I came to that in Ready Player One is the shining sequence where they go to the Overlook Hotel and even that turns into this <laughs> i don't i don't even know how to explain it's this goofy scene with like zombies running around and uh, it's no i don't like it i don't care for it no thank you that was a little weird i almost like was wondering why didn't they pick a horror if they needed kind of like these zombie things why didn't they just pick a horror film that has those kind of enemies um brad uh do you think ready player one is better or worse than the lost world um i think that as a whole it is better if only because like it's, I don't know. It, the Lost World for me suffers from coming after Jurassic Park, and nothing in it that happens really is all that more exciting than what happened in the first movie, with the exception of, like Chris said, that incredible cliffside trailer sequence. But otherwise, it's just trying to up the ante by having more dinosaurs, and it's a very contrived plot. And the ending uh, in San Diego is completely stupid. The whole idea of a dinosaur loose in the city is, is positively ridiculous and it does not work at all it turns it into a, a parody of itself um so I, I think ready player one is better than the lost world uh if only because the way spielberg tackles the themes in this movie is about uh, our obsession with pop culture and our reluctance to embrace things that we're uncomfortable with and uh embracing our identities and coming to terms with them and living in the real world while still loving the things about uh, escapism and the stories that don't exist in the real world, I think is there's a lot more that he does with this movie than he uh, even tried to do with the lost world. 
Okay, let's let's bring up a couple other movies that are, um, you know, when you search online for Spielberg's worst movies, these these are the ones that uh, consistently come up, and that is uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull and AI. Uh, d- d- Chris, is this really a worse movie than Crystal Skull? Oh, yes, absolutely. Without, I can say that without even hesitating. This is a worse movie than Crystal Skull. Brad, do you have any defense? Uh, hold on. You just said that this movie is worse than Crystal Skull. What? Ready Player One? Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh boy, I'm not sure that I can agree with that. There's, I mean, much, much in the same way. Like you, I don't know. There's some really stupid, dumb shit in Chris, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We're talking. I mean, come on. This is the thing that launched Nuke the Fridge as a new meme. And like the the Shia LaBeouf swinging through trees and getting hit in the balls by vines and stuff. Uh, I mean, there's. I so mean, much... I agree that stuff is really it's terrible. But no, don't, don't get me wrong. There there is some <laughs> good stuff in in Indiana Jones Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But again, I think that Ready Player One as a whole does what it's supposed to do and and feels like it's something that is cohesive in Spielberg style in a way that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not kingdom of the crystal skull feels like it's not directed by Spielberg. Like it's directed by somebody who's desperate to pretend to be Spielberg and pay tribute to Indiana Jones at the same time, same time. Crystal skull has a bad villain as does uh ready player one. Do you, what is up with Steven Spielberg's, um, his execution of villains in these popcorn movies? Like has, has he, has he forgotten how to do a villain in, in a blockbuster? Chris? It does. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, that, I, that's a good point. I don't. I don't know um, what the deal is with that. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn is a great actor, but he has he has like nothing to do in Ready Player One, and he's also wearing huge false teeth, which I don't really understand why, and it kept distracting me. Like every time he talked, his big fake teeth were there, and I kept waiting for an explanation. Like, oh, they're going to explain why he has those false teeth, but he do- they don't, and I don't get it. So I don't know. <laughs> Brad, you had th- some thoughts on this. I part of me wonders if maybe Spielberg um, hasn't really updated his storytelling principles to have villains that don't feel like they come from a different era. Because Spielberg has constantly crafted villains that are f- kind of basically come from different time periods. Um, I can't really think of a blockbuster that has that he's made that has a villain. Um, or at least some form of antagonist that isn't a a creature, or b just something that was pulled from uh, a film period from decades before. I mean, Hook has Hook, who's a pirate. There's the I mean, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Uh, all the villains in Indiana Jones are classic action adventure villains, from you know Nazis to muscular thugs and uh, villainous officers. He, I, I can't really think of. Is there a villain he's done that doesn't really feel like it's a cinematic trope like i feel like that's kind of just his style when it comes to blockbuster villains is he he pulls from uh tropes from the past which is i think maybe why sorrento is the is the way he is not to mention the fact that we're still talking about he pulled this from source material as well well i think when he does this more elevated work like there are you know the villains are more complex and um you know there's more to them than i think like uh ben mendelson's uh character in ready player one um you 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 bring up hook brad 
is Ready Player One a better movie than Hook? Uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> um, I, I do think that Ready Player One has some of the similar attributes of Hook, and it will be revered in the same way that Hook is by children who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, because let, let me get this out of the way too. I, I really enjoyed Ready Player One. I, I like it a lot, but I don't. Uh, again, it's not. I don't think it's among Spielberg's vet, um, best, and I don't have this, you know, amazing reverence or love for for it whatsoever. But you, you tweeted out a list of what the top ten Spielberg movies. Well, my top ten Spielberg movies, yeah, yeah, and it was not in the top ten. Yeah, exactly. And so, but but I think that this, this is the kind of movie, and and Spielberg said this before, um, leading up to the release of the movie, is that he tried to make this movie from the pers- from the perspective. Of the fans, not a movie for the fans, which is something that a lot of people are saying that they do, which is which is garbage, but rather from the perspective of the fans of, of like what they would like to see this, this book become and what the, what this movie is. And I get what he's saying in that in, in that regard it would, because it's different. And I think that this movie has a lot of what people love in the movies that they loved growing up. And in that sense, I think that's why the movie is a little less mature than what we've come to expect from Steven Spielberg but in a way that is intentional and also in a way that I think contains a nugget of self-reflection and even self-criticism about how closely we hold on to pop culture, much in the same way that The Last Jedi has those nuggets about holding on to the past and how it, it, it can inevitably like, you know, hurt us in some way. So a decade from now, you think that this will be fondly remembered by uh, maybe the millennial generation? Uh Chris, a decade from now, do you, do you do you do you still think that it will be considered? Do you think it will be considered widely one of Spielberg's worst films? I really don't know. I can't. Uh, people seem to like this movie. I mean, the, the people angrily tweeting at me surely seem to like it, and so maybe I'm an outlier here. But I, I am not. <laughs> In my mind. When I look back on this film in you know 10, 15 years from now, I'm pretty sure it's gonna it's gonna remain at the bottom of the barrel for me. Will you know? Will I change my opinion on it? Maybe. I, you know, I, there have been plenty of films in the past where I've loathed them when I first seen them, and then I give them another chance, and I do reconsider them and recontextualize them. So I'm not saying you know that won't happen. I, I, I'll give Ready Player One a chance again, maybe when it's on Blu-ray. But uh, compared with Spielberg's other work, which I hold in the highest of regard, I'm pretty sure this is going to remain at the bottom of the list for me. It's interesting because the source material, or, or Ernie Klein's uh, book, is considered by those in the in the virtual reality world to be almost like a a prophecy, like it's um predicting this future that we're going to have and uh you know 10 years down the line i could see a world where we're all escaping to these uh vr uh mmo rpg kind of like worlds that are in uh, you know a virtual computer like this i'm wondering if um if this movie becomes as much of a prophecy about the future of uh that virtual escape as you know the vr community seems to believe this book is going to be if um if that will change your ideas of uh, of of this movie as a whole chris i really don't know um i also feel like that sort of 
is ignoring the message, at least of the film, which <laughs> <laughs> has, yeah, the film has this pretty clear message that is very much underlined in the end where, you know, the characters are saying, you know, the virtual reality world, it's cool, you know, sometimes, but you need to unplug every now and then. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's going to turn out in the real world, though. Well, there we have it uh, for our future. I'd also, like to, I'd also like to point out that I think that Ready Player One is better than The Terminal and 1941. Well, yeah, you know what? I, now that you bring up 1941, Chris, how is 1941 a better movie than Ready Player One? Uh, 1941 is a failure, but it's an interesting failure. It's it's Spielberg going for broke and trying something he's never really done before at the time. He, he had never done a big madcap comedy like that before. And he's never done it again for good reason. But uh, on the level that, you know, it's him trying something new, I can appreciate 1941. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that now officially does it for our future presentation. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? You can always find me on SlashFilm.com. Uh, you can also check out my Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other places with the podcasts. Chris, where can people find you? I'm on SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at Evangelist 413 And if you're thinking of tweeting at me to tell me I'm an idiot for not liking <laughs> Ready Player One, please just don't bother. I, I, get the, I get the message. And if you're thinking of tweeting me to tell me that Ready Player One is awesome, I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at SlashFilm. Uh, I am not Chris, by the way. I'm getting tons of hate over this Ready Player One review. People uh, telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, that's Chris, not me. Um, but they're addressing it to me. They're like, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay. That's well, maybe they're, maybe they're just saying that in general, though. I mean, that's possible. It's possible. And uh, <laughs> and I promise Ben will be back on the show this week if, if, you, if you're missing him already. Uh, you can find more of all the stories we mentioned today, which are generally just uh, Chris's Ready Player One review. I'll link Brad's top 10 Spielberg tweet and uh, Chris's Spielberg piece from last week, which was fantastic, uh, in the show notes. Um, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies, television, and deeper dives into the great features on SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you tomorrow. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.